You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, you may find the content of this podcast difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. You should also be aware the information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Hello and welcome to First Tech's latest news podcast for November, December 2022, where we provide a wrap of all the latest technical uh, and legislative developments advisors need to be across to assist their clients. I'm your host, Craig Day, head of the First Tech team, and joining me today, we've got lots of people today. We've got Richard, we've got Kim, we've got Tim, and we've got Linda. I won't say your role titles because that's all a bit boring. Now, before we get underway in what will be our last podcast for 2022, I just want to wish everyone a happy and festive holiday period full of lots of laughs and relaxation and good times and lots of safe driving. I'd also like to say that these podcasts have actually proved really popular with advisors. And while we'll be taking a break over January for a much earned rest, uh, we do look forward to be being back on the airways uh, next February in 2023. A lot to get through as the government has been busy passing lots of new yes. bills before they go on holidays. So making it busy for everyone else. Now, Richo, let's start with you, mate. Now, the bill to reduce the eligibility age for downsizer from 60, where, you know, we only had a reduction from 65 to 60 less than six months ago today, um, and it's just dropped down further to age 55 for making a downsizer contribution, and that's passed both houses on the 28th of November. And at the time of doing this today, recording this today in early December, Uh, that bill is still awaiting royal assent. So tell us about the impact of this measure once it's legislated and what does it mean from advisors' clients? Yeah, sure thing, Craig. Thank you. Um, It it may appear to be a simple and straightforward change, but there are actually many considerations to be made from it. Firstly, the change means that it it would allow eligible individuals who are age 55 and over to make a downsizer contribution in addition to non-concessional contribution under the Bring Forward rule. This means for a couple together, they may potentially contribute up to 1.26 million, which is a great opportunity to putting more money to super, particularly for couple with lots of cash available. These clients can save tax on the investment earnings in super as they only get tax at 15% rather than marginal tax rate. All right, but I suppose that 1.26 million, it sounds like a lot, and I, I guess that's just a theoretical amount, right? So... That's just a combination of both non-concessional and downsizer contribution for a couple. Um, I suppose we could even get more in if we do that over two years with kind of doing, you know, putting up to the non-concessional cap without triggering in one year. So um, so that's all good. But I guess for most clients, they're going to be nowhere near 1.26 million. So in that case, they're, you know, unlikely to have that amount to throw into super, even if the new home is less expensive. So we actually do have someone that's downsizing from a cost perspective. So for clients with a smaller amount to contribute, is making a downsizer contribution still a good idea? That's an excellent question, Craig. Good. good. I'm glad you think so. (laughs) And the answer is not necessarily. Right. For for many people, making a non-concessional contribution of up to 330000 by using the Bring Forward rule 
will allow them to contribute their available funds. Uh, it also allows them to save the ability to make a downsizer contribution for a later time, as a downs- as downsizer contributions are a once-off lifetime opportunity and they do not have an upper age limit. Okay. And when I think about this, it's I suppose when we think about the impact of making a downsizer contribution, that's obviously going to increase my total superannuation balance, which depending on how much money I've got in super could potentially jeopardise my ability to make a non-concessional contribution in future. Whereas if I'm making a non-concessional contribution, because downsizers, total super balance is not relevant, then that's probably another reason to make it as a non-concessional contribution because I'm not jeopardising my ability to make a downsizer contribution in future. Um, Are there any other considerations? Preservation is another important consideration. If you make the downsizer contribution at age 55, that money will be locked in super until you meet a condition of release, which means if you ever need that money, it will be locked away until that happens. So... Advisors have to carefully consider whether yeah, that's appropriate. it may not be a good thing to do. And that's a really important thing to think about with these new rules. Like once upon a time, you know, you could make a downsizer contribution. The age you needed to be was 65. So that's an automatic condition of release. So you make the contribution, it's automatically unrestricted, not preserved. Now with the reduction to age 60 and then further to age 55, what that's actually just telling us there is that if you do go and make a downsizer contribution, be very careful because if the client needs that money back out, such as to buy a new home, let's say that they thought they were going to buy the house for whatever and now they need an extra $100,000 but you've gone and thrown this money into super and they're age 55, well, they're not getting it until they're at least preservation age, which for this group is probably going to be age 60, uh, and they've set aside a conditional release. So very important consideration. Exactly. Excellent. Thanks, Richard. Thank you, Craig. All right. Kim. Yes. Moving on to an election promise that has also, in this very, very busy couple of weeks, made it through Parliament, and that's in relation to the the increase in the Social Security work bonus. Now, can you give us a run through? What have they done here? Yeah, so this is good news. They've um, that proposal to temporarily increase the work bonus income concession bank by $4,000 has made it through. It's been legislated and it's um, actually already commenced from the 1st of December 2022. Um, And as we know, this measure is aimed at actually encouraging pensioners of age, pension age to take up paid employment um, and it reduces the amount of employment income that's included in the Social Security income test so that their pension is not as impacted. So I remember from what was at the skills summit where this was where this was initially floated. Mm. Um, so in that context, this is aimed at addressing the skills shortage. I would imagine. Yeah, that's right. Um, this new measure increases the amount um, that pensioners over age pension age and some eligible veterans can earn from employment, as well as self-employment that includes personal exertion. Um, both of those can attract the work bonus and they reduce the amount that accounts so they increase their pension entitlement. All right. Well, now, this all sounds fabulous. Mm. Um, Problem is, how does it actually work? Is it changing the amount that I can earn or what's it doing? Yeah, it's interesting the way they did it. So, you know, it's it's been for quite a while that um, the work bonus is $300 a fortnight um, and that isn't changing. It's still $300 a fortnight of income from employment or self-employment that can be um, reduced and, and not impact the income test. But what they did change is the income concession bank. And that is 
um, unused amounts of work bonus that accrue, they can keep those in this income concession bank to offset against future income. And prior to the changes, um, you could have 7800 in that income concession bank that's accrued. And under the changes, they're going to add $4,000 to everybody's income concession bank um, from the 1st of December 22. And that amount um, will be there until 31st of December 23. Um, so what they've done is they've increased this income concession bank um, and that amount can be used to offset future employment income. And it's a really good way of doing it because it allows people to have all sorts of different patterns of earning income. I mean, the classic example is, you know, somebody who's a Santa at the local Westfield and they might earn quite a bit of money for a month or two up, coming up to Christmas and they can use those money, that money in the income concession bank to offset that employment income so it won't affect their age pension. Um, but easily, similarly, it could also be used by somebody who has, you know, regular fortnightly amounts of employment income, and they can also use, you know, amounts in that income concession bank to reduce it. All right, terrific. Now, funny little story here, right? So I was telling my parents about this, and, you know, I mention my parents sometimes throughout these podcasts because, yes. you know, they're real-life examples they're real of self-funded retirees. Yeah. Um, and... I don't know how come I was over there at their place and we were doing something and my mother was asking me about these new work bonus changes and she said to me, no one's forcing me to go back to work. Yeah, I bet there and is they, a bit of that. They kind of think that these new changes mm. are actually saying you have to go back to work. It's not yeah. that at all, is it? No, they don't Clearly. have to. Right? I mean, they don't get any benefit from the change if they don't work, but that's completely up to them, of course. So there you go, Mum. You don't you have, don't to, go have back to work. To work. <laughs> you don't need to take it from me. You yeah. can take it from Kim. Now, <laughs> are there any other changes uh, to the work bonus that we need to think about under these? You know, is it is it permanent or temporary? Temporary. So, yeah, it only goes um, from the 1st of December 22 to the 31st of December 23. The other change they're making, so they're giving everybody $4,000, as I said, um, on the 1st of December to increase their income concession bank. They're also allowing the amount that can accrue in that income concession bank to increase from 7800 to 11800 mm -hmm. So over that 12-month or 13-month period, 1st of December to 31st of December 23, um, they can actually, you know, accrue up to $11,800 in their income concession of bank, whereas previously it could only be 7800 Right. Now, you've said an important date there. So it starts, you said it started on, it's already started on the 1st of December. Yeah. Which today we're recording this, it's the 2nd of December. So yes. Woohoo! It's done. Um, yeah. It started. Um, but you just said 31 December it finishes. Yes. Right. So 13 months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, what happens when it finishes? Do I get to keep my 4000 or? Well, it's an interesting thing there too because what they're doing is they're just saying, okay, everybody who has over 7800 in their income concession bank at the 31st of December 23, we're going to reduce it down to 7800 So right. um, that means that, you know, if you had 11800 they would take off 4000 But if you only had 8000 for example, in your income concession bank, they're only going to take away 200 to get you down to 7800 on the 31st of December 23. Okay, so obviously a use it or lose it kind of thing. That's it, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, okay, I guess the main message for me here is, to make the best use of the measure, pensioners would need to earn the income from employment exceeding 300 per fortnight over the period 1 December to 31 December 2023. Yeah? Yep, that's right. Okay. Okay, the government's also brought in a few other measures to encourage. Now, encourage 
mum, not force people to to work. Um, what are those measures? Yeah, so they also brought in this measure to say if somebody's pension gets cancelled due to income and they have some employment income, um, then what they're going to do is make it easier for them to um, go back onto the pension when that income reduces. So under the new rules, and you're actually going to be suspended for up to two years if you get um, if your pension stops due to income and you've got some employment income. And when that reduces down again, you can just quickly jump back on by doing an abridged reclaim process, which is going to be quicker and easier to do. And that applies to the partners of those people too. All right, that sounds really good. Now, thinking about here, if I go off the pension, <gasps> I might lose my pension at concessions mm, card. They don't and like that. No, they don't mm. like that. Um, so what's happening there? Is there any concessions to allow them to keep it? Yeah, really important that they will also be eligible for the pension and concession card during that period of time when, you know, they're not on the pension due to income. Um, so they keep eligibility for that card up to two years as well. All right. Fantastic. Thanks, Kim. Now, if we have advisors wanting more info, I think we've got an article. Yes, we do. Um, the article's coming out um, in the latest edition of First Tech Monthly, and it's also available on the First Tech site. Brilliant. Thank you, Kim. All right, Timothy. Yes. Okay. Now, there's another important social security change happened, hasn't there? Now, we've seen some beneficial changes that have been legislated to the Centrelink treatment of the principal home sale proceeds, if I can say that properly. Now, this is going to start, I think, from the 1st of January 2023, so it's not in yet, but it's coming. Now, can you actually run us through, so we can understand this change, can you run us through what the existing rules are? Yeah, sure. So at a very high level, this the sort of Centrelink treatment of principal home sale proceeds is really about allowing homeowners to have some continuity of treatment to continue as homeowners as they sell principal home and purchase a new principal home. So the way it works is where a client sells their principal home, then any of those sale proceeds that they intend to use for the purchase of their new home, um, they are exempt from the Social Security Assets Test for up to 12 months. Um, that can be extended by an additional 12 months in rare cases. And during that time, the client continues to be treated as a homeowner. And then where there's any of those uh, proceeds that are held in a financial investment, like a bank account, managed funds, shares, et cetera, then they're going to be subject, they're subject to deeming like any other financial investment is. All right, so eligible, if I could speak, eligible proceeds, right? So let's say we've got someone, they're selling their home for, let's say, maybe 500 grand, and they only intend to use, let's say, $400,000 proceeds to buy their new home. So they're maybe downsizing or um, in terms of price, going into an apartment from selling their home or something like that, or buying something smaller or in a regional area. Um, and it's only, in this case, the $400,000 that qualifies here for this exemption, so that extra $100,000 we've released will be assessed as an asset? Yeah, that's that's right. It's only the proceeds intended for the purchase of the new home. So in that case, that remaining $100,000 is just assessed um, in the normal way depending on what the client does with that. All right. Now, obviously, there's some changes here. So they apply from the 1st of January 2023, um, so New Year's Day. What are those changes? Okay, well, so the first point to make, I guess, is that that definition of eligible sale proceeds that we talked about, that remains unchanged. So only the amount you intend to use for your new home qualifies. But there's really two beneficial changes. Firstly, 
that maximum period to get the asset test exemption. That's extended from 12 months to 24 months, so a two-year period. And as with the existing rules, in some cases, you can get an additional 12-month extension to that. And then the other beneficial change is for income test purposes, um, where the eligible sale proceeds are held in a financial investment, then only the lower deeming rate, so currently 0.25%, will apply to all of those proceeds during that exemption period. Okay, so an income test concession as well, that's interesting. How's Thinking about that, how's that going to work um, with income that I've got from other financial investments? Do they still get that lower deeming rate on those other assets? Yeah, they do. So unlike the existing rules where it's all just bundled together, um, the deeming calculation for the sale proceeds under the new rules is a completely separate calculation. So for example, if we have a single person that's got 400,000 of eligible sale proceeds, all of that just gets deemed at the lower rate of 0.25% under the new rules. And if that person has, let's say, $100,000 of other financial investments, then they still get that first lower threshold in the case of a single 56,400 that's deemed at the lower rate and then the remaining is deemed at the higher deeming rate. Yeah, I suppose that's important really because... If they were going to deem that house sale proceeds at that lower rate and that blows out your your lower threshold, then effectively you're paying the same rate. So I suppose they've got to give you that that kind of segregation there in a way. Yeah, it is further beneficial for the client. It just completely quarantines off those eligible sale proceeds and has no impact on the deeming of the client's remaining. Okay, so we're also starting to get some advisors asking whether the sale proceeds can be contributed to super and then maybe even put into an account-based pension and qualify for the assets test exemption and the lower deeming rate. Is that actually possible? Yeah, well, so I think the first thing to mention is when we're contributing to super, um, if if the client is underage pension age, then super held in the accumulation phase is exempt from the assets and income tests anyway. Um, But obviously for a client under age pension age, um, access to that amount contributed needs to be considered because if we have someone under age pension age who doesn't have access to their superannuation, then um, there's really not going to be the ability potentially to use those sale proceeds for the purchase of the new home. Um, But more broadly, these concessional rules can apply to really eligible sale proceeds held in any financial investment. So that could include superannuation, could include an account-based pension, and those options may provide you know, some sort of tax advantage for some clients when compared with holding it in a non-super financial investment. Um, but if, you, if contributing to super, you would also, there's other considerations like the eligibility to contribute, um, contributions caps that will apply. Um, and in some situations, you know, a downsize a contribution may be an option for a client to allow them to contribute these sale proceeds in and hold them within the superannuation environment. Okay, so I guess what you're telling me here, timing of the sale is going to be critical. Now, for me, the next logical question is, what is the actual time of sale? Is it exchange of contracts or settlement that has to be on or after 1 January 2023? Yeah, well, unfortunately, at this stage, that is somewhat unclear. Um, And we think just to ensure um, access to the new rules, um, where a client is 
considering selling their home, just making sure that both exchange of contracts and settlement are occurring after 1 January 2023 um, is, is a, a safe way to do that. Thanks, Tim. That was fabulous. Now, moving on to Linda. Now, Linda. Now, a couple of months ago, back in August, we did yep. a podcast um, that included some changes around fringe benefits tax and electric cars mm. um, that certainly piqued a few people's interests. Yeah. Now, those bills, um, stuff's happened. What's happened? What happened? Back then, um, when we first talked about it, when we had a bill mm-hmm. that potentially could provide a fringe pen- benefits tax exemption for the employers, uh, for purchasing the electric cars. Now, it has passed both houses. Okay, with... but we, it's not assented yet, though, is it? No, it hasn't. No, but, but that's a formality. A formality. Yeah, formality yeah. Right? Now, the government put out some figures mm. to show the potential tax savings, didn't they? What, what mm. you know, to keep it a light, high level, mm. like how concessional are these changes going to be for people? Yeah, so uh, if the purchase price of the car is $50,000, the government suggested that someone could save around $4,700 a year. And we did some analysis that shows that employee needs to be on top marginal tax rate to have that savings. However, hang on, hang on. So that's Four thousand seven, not over the life of one of no. these Novada lease things. No, that's a year. That's a year. So the term of the lease could vary. It could be three years, could be five years, but that's a year. Wow, that's really concessional. Yeah. What if, What if I'm on a lower tax rate? That could be better, right? <laughs> because the lower marginal tax rate of people could take a higher amount of salary, and they pay less amount of tax. So it could be even. Even more concessional. Yes. All right. Now that's based on fifty grand. Now, I, yep. last time I looked, I don't, I couldn't see too many electric cars for sale for fifty thousand. Although, you know, things are changing mm. by the month, right? Mm. Um, but realistically, what if you were to go into a Tesla showroom, for example? I shouldn't mention brand names, but um, and buy a car for eighty thousand dollars. What happens then? Right. I don't know anything about cars, Craig. So I take your word for it. Let's go with eighty thousand dollars. So I'm just basically looking at French tax exemption on that amount. Uh, that means uh, the potential saving a year, tax saving a year, or in uh, other words, uh, the potential take-home pay a year could increase uh, by $7,500 uh, for a top marginal tax rate employee. And that amount could be higher if the employee's marginal tax rate is lower. Seven and a half thousand dollars a year. Well, eighty thousand dollars a car. Wow! <laughs> but I'm just thinking, you know, we've got all this noise about mm. these tax cuts coming through in when one July twenty twenty four, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think what's what's the benefit there? It's up around these ranges, and you know, the, the sky's going to fall in. And yet, go out and buy an electric car, all good. Good you for get, the environment. You get a similar kind of tax cut. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. Um, all right. So obviously there's going to be some rules here. Yes. What are they? Yes. So this um, measure actually applies retrospectively. Uh, it actually applies to eligible vehicle electric cars uh, first held and used 
all, all after 1st July 2022, so the beginning of this current financial year. Okay. So if I bought my electric car five years ago? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Not that you would be still, but, you know, but it has to be pretty much from 1 July this year. That's right. From 1 That's July right. 2022. Yeah. I assume that people are listening this in That's 2022. Right. Um, all right. And what else? Eligible cars. Again, Craig, I don't know anything about the cars. I'm only reading the legislation, whatever you included. You will have to give our audience some more details, right, right. all right? So what I read is the, uh, the eligible vehicle must be uh, the vehicle with zero or low emission vehicle. Uh, it means battery electric cars, that I understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, hydrogen fuel cell electric cars. Sort mm-hmm. of, I sort of understand. Mm-hmm. And then the plug-in hybrid electric cars. But, but this is where the amendment came in. Uh, for plug-in hybrid electric cars, you got to do it before 1st April 2025. If you do it on or after 1st April 2025, there's no fringe benefit tax exemption. Um, so although the pre-existing arrangement entered prior to that date, it can continue until the end of the term. But anyone wants to do the plug-in hybrid, whatever that is, <laughs> you'll have to do it before 1st April 2025. All right. Now, so for, for your knowledge. Thank you. Right. So if we look at something like that old Toyota Prius. Right? I don't think so, that works. Right. Yeah. No, that, so that's a hybrid, right? So that's not, so it's just a hybrid. It's not a plug-in hybrid. So what a plug-in hybrid is, you've got the ability to, you have a big battery pack in the car and you actually plug your car into the electric socket um, and you charge up your battery bank that way. And so you've got the option of either using the internal combustion or a big battery bank, right? So that's what a plug-in hybrid is. But your standard old-fashioned Toyota Prius that is a hybrid electric car, not a plug-in, just a hybrid which will charge from the engine running. So it's you can't you don't have the option of plugging that one into the power socket on the wall. So those just straight hybrids, the old, the old Toyota Priuses, lots of new ones these days, all the Corollas and things like that are also hybrids. They don't qualify under these rules. It's only where you can actually plug the car into the wall. So that would be a battery electric vehicle or a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle or your hydrogen fuel cell, but not a Toyota Prius. Thank you. Now I learned something today. Just for your information, Craig, I drive a 22-year-old 20, Honda Civic. Nice. And it's manual. It's a manual. <laughs> yeah, so Correct. I'll take your word for it. Correct item. All right, now there's also a limit on the retail sale price, isn't there? There is. To be eligible, it has to be under the luxury car tax threshold for fuel efficient cars. That's just a little under $85,000 for the time being. All right. So um, you can't go out and buy top of the line, super duper Uber. Well, you, you can, know, you just you don't can. get You're not exemption. getting the fringe benefits tax exemption, right? Because yeah. then the fringe benefits tax concessions would be extraordinary. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, now, thinking about this, obviously, as soon as we start mucking around with fringe benefits tax, that has knock-on implications for other tax rules. Yep. Um, so, obviously, that's going to have a knock-on impact for financial planning strategies. So, how's this going to work? Well, three things came into my mind, Craig. The first one is that it's not available to everyone. you got to be an employee has employee employ, uh, has an employer to be able to enter a salary packaging 
uh, arrangement. If you're a sole trader or you're a partner of a partnership, you're not able to employ your, yourself. You can provide a benefit for others, but not for yourself. So mm. it's not available to everyone. So all those financial planners out there that are sole traders? Well, unless they have another employer. Yeah, bad luck. Bad yeah. luck. So, but if you're an employee? Well, if your employer is able okay. um, to offer, yeah, go ahead and check it out. All right. Yeah. Now, what else? What else? Um, a, potentially a trap came into my mind. That's a super guarantee contributions. So this is different to salary sacri- uh, sacrificing to super. Mm-hmm. If you salary sacrificing to super, that amounts to attract, attract the super guarantee contribution. But salary packaging towards private expenses will no longer be part of your ordinary earnings. So potentially, you uh-huh. could see a reduction in your super guarantee if the employee, if you're not careful, yeah. if the employer. But it's probably paying. unlikely to make that unviable. It mm-hmm. just reduces the, you know, the very large tax concession, you know, that's kind of been flashed around in press releases, etc. Yeah. You've just got to say, oh, well, if you go and do this, just remember there that that's no longer the amount you're salary mm-hmm. sacrificing for this car doesn't form part of your ordinary time earnings. That's right. Yep. So therefore, you're not going to get SG on this amount. But I yep. think that the tax concessions are going to wipe out any that's right. degradation. Or the employer might be really nice. You yeah, know, you negotiate we'll with yeah. the employer. Yeah. Yeah. Or just salary sacrifice some more. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and the last thing came to my mind is that um, we double-checked Although this amount uh, is not attract the French benefit tax for the employers, meaning French benefit tax exempt, however, they are still reportable. And f- reportable French benefits have a flow on impact on various tax, super, and social security measures. Just be very, very careful uh, about that amount being included in the income test or various things. Okay, thanks for a fantastic summary there, Linda. Now, I guess if people want more information, we're going to put out an article in yeah. the new year, I think. Yeah, yeah, we are. We are. We're going to summarise a high level, how it works and how the exemption works uh, and the potential strategy opportunities and, and the traps. And, and the financial planning yeah. impacts. Brilliant. All right, that pretty much sums it up. I'd like to say thanks, guys, and, and happy Christmas. Um, And also to all the listeners out there, um, thanks for tuning in during the year. We've really enjoyed doing these. I hope hope you've got value out of them. And I'd also like to wish everyone a happy and safe festival season. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please note these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors as a source of general information. All scenarios considered during the podcast were purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. You should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decisions and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, no person including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited and Advantius Investments Limited accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.